Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast, hashtag Pitbull Stories Edition. My name is Rachel Laurie Harris. I'm a professional dog trainer, and I'm also the proud owner of an American Staffordshire Terrier that we lovingly call Waylon. In this series, Pitbull Stories, I talk with pitbull owners all over the world, and we share our stories about pitbulls, how we got into pitbulls, how we love pitbulls, what we've learned from them, and how we're advocating for the breed now. I'm really looking Looking forward to sharing these stories. And if you'd like to be a part of this series, please follow us over on the Instagram at a good feeling underscore NCO. Send me a DM. I would love to chat and hear your pitbull story. Enjoy. To pitbulls and blocky headed dogs in an interesting way. Um, I had met some of my friends had American bulldogs. So purebred from a breeder, all of that. And I just kind of fell in love from there. And to me, I'm like, well, you know, I'll just go to the shelter and get a dog that's like that. (laughs) So I ended up just, uh, that's how I kind of felt about it because I was already interested in rescue. I did, um, adopt my other dogs that I had in the past. So that's kind of how that happened. And, you know, it's kind of hard once you, once you fall in love with a blockhead, you, if you didn't know before (laughs) what kind of, um, you know, avalanche of, uh, you know, different, uh, responses and opinions you get about the, the dogs, you're going to find out pretty quickly. And it's hard not to be an advocate. If you, you either are an advocate or you feel like a victim, you know, if you have a blocky headed dog. So I'm partial to pit bull type dogs, which, you know, when they're in the shelter, you don't really know what they are. They are, they're just different, you know, shapes and sizes and things like that. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, I had no idea. I didn't really have an opinion one way or the other about them until I started, uh, till I adopted one. And then I found out pretty quickly, you know, the stigma that's attached and also the adoration that's, that a lot of people, let a lot of us feel for them and why. So Oh my God, Laura, I seriously love how you describe that, right? You're either an advocate or you, or you play a victim. And I feel like it's so true and like no shame, right? Like it's okay to play a victim at first, right? Because it, it can be a little much, right? When you're like flooded with all this like feedback from people about the dog that you have. But that's been my experience, right? Is that as soon as you get a blocky headed dog, you feel so much love and like you want, you just become an advocate because you know, right, this individual dog, this blocky headed package is so brilliant and you can't stand by watching people marginalize a breed that doesn't deserve it. Absolutely. And then you start looking into, if you're like me, I'm a writer and a teacher and a researcher. So you start looking into the facts, right? And you start seeing how unfounded a lot of that, the stigma that is there, um, how unfounded it is. And also you start to see how much love there is. So I do feel that there's stigma and that that stigma is based on misinformation and um, probably a very small minority of people who exploit the dogs, but I still think that the vast majority of pit bulls are considered and blocky headed dogs are considered um, family. I really do. After working in rescue and doing various things for so long, I do think that that is more the rule than the exception. So, so there's that. And then you start to just find out about what they were like, you know, what, why did people, why were they the American dog? 
they were considered like the American dog back in the day in the 20s and all that. And it's because they're great with people, you know, typically not to even stereotype them in one way or another, but that's what they were known for. So, um, so yeah, I educated myself about things and um, the biggest thing for me was building community and that's, you know, kind of what I've done from here. Um, and you, you asked me too about community, like what my community is like. So I live in Long Beach, California, and it's a pretty progressive city and it's a very diverse city and pit bulls are pretty popular here. Um, unfortunately, that means there's a lot of pit bulls in the shelter. Uh, so people think, you know, that there's pit bulls in the shelter, pit bulls and chihuahuas are in the shelter because, you know, they're bad dogs. No, it's because people love them and they're what they choose. So I feel like that's a myth that needs to kind of, uh, go away. <laughs> you know, um, if people didn't love them, they wouldn't breed them and sell them and make money off of them. And there wouldn't be so many of them. They would just disappear. So in my city, there are so many advocates for pit bulls and people that love them you still do get some of the, you know, kind of reactions based on the stigma, but not as much as in other places. You know, if, you, if I travel to Orange County, different cities are different. Um, Huntington Beach is very pro Pitbull. You go further south and it's, it's kind of tough. Sometimes you get that stigma more. So, so my city luckily is pretty progressive. Yeah, so. which is so amazing. And honestly, like that has really been the majority of the consensus, right? And like all these conversations I've been so grateful to have is that like, by and large, like the community really, people in general, I feel like, you know, the publicity for Pitbull type dogs is really starting to shift. And I think that a yeah. huge you know, motivator for that, I feel like is social media because all these people are getting this like behind the scene, right? Like, okay, you know, even if, you know, say you had these stigmas, like they're, they're vicious or, or whatever, you know, label you want to insert there, then you start to see this glimmer of like, oh my God, look at this dog just snuggling on the couch, right? Like, look at this dog just doing quote unquote normal dog things. And I think that that imagery is huge. I think that that's huge for shifting the mindset and shifting the understanding of like, they're literally just dogs, y'all, right? Like they're not this crazy mythic monster that, you know, all this mis misinformation has, you know, unfortunately led people to believe for so long. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think social media and I think um, people of your generation, because I can tell I'm older than you, people of your generation, <laughs> um, I feel like younger people just don't have the stigma. Like the vast majority of people I meet occasionally, but there, there's somebody that has a negative stereotype, but most young people, they're like, oh my God, a people how cute, you know, and they just, they don't have it and they, they love them, which is awesome. And I do think you're right. It's about social media and it's about, like, I tell people, you know, who say, I want to advocate, but I don't have any time and I don't want to go to the shelter. And I, and I say, just like show your dog in everyday life, you know, and show your dog with your family you know, and, and just doing that is advocating, you know, showing them as just a dog, you know, just hanging out with the family, all that stuff. So, um, I do think Alexa's going to talk to us a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I do think that, uh, you know, it's shifting a lot and I think maybe people are really tired of all the old myths that stereotype anyone and any animal. So, yeah, right. And I think that, you know, 
I think that there's this reality, right? That like, of course, our conversation is about pit bull type dogs, but I, I really think that it's undeniable, like the parallel between like different races and genders of people who also, right, have experienced like the same like myth and stigmas. And, you know, I think that obviously in the sake of pit bulls, like I think we're making a lot of progress, but I think, you know, I think it just speaks to like how easy people can be influenced and how like we as a culture, we need to dig deeper. We need to get more facts. We need to understand the details and not let headlines tell us how we should feel about something. Absolutely. I was just having that conversation about race with somebody today that had to do with um, that people are easy to manipulate. And it's, it's a PR problem, you know, and that's why when it comes to pit bulls, I, I think, I think from a marketing standpoint, um, I, I worked for a long time in, in the art department of, uh, you know, you know, underneath marketing and like for bands, uh, shoes. And I just did a lot, I've had a lot of that background, even though it's the art side where you think about like, what is the message you want to send and how do you want to send it? So I'm really picky about what I send out there. Like I am very aware that certain things that some advocates do uh, endangers the dog or endangers other dogs. Like I personally don't love showing a little baby wrapped up, you know, in a dog's like, you know, with the dog wrapped all around it. I'm like, no, no, don't do that because kids do all kinds of things that, you know, lead to dogs biting them. So I'm really conscious of trying to show children in a more, you know, like respectful of the dog and, and um, kind of maybe even training the dog or doing things like that so that it'll be appropriate interactions. So I feel like, but I, I just think that messaging, marketing, PR is, uh, is the biggest, you know, way to kind of get over some of these stereotypes and myths. Yeah. And it's so true. And, and I love that you bring this up, right? Like the kid dog dynamic. And I think that, you know, I think that while people mean well, when they want to say like, oh, pit bulls were the original nanny dog. Like, I love that they're trying, right. but I think it's also important that we shift the conversation to like, dogs are not nannies, right? right? Like, dogs are dogs and they, we should set up appropriate, respectful boundaries when it comes to dogs and kids, right? Because right. the numbers are very clear, right? Dog bite victims, mostly kids. Yes. Mostly kids. Right. Right. And like that's advocating for our breed is being a responsible breed or, you know, mixed breeds, right. Being a responsible dog owner and not putting our dogs in situations in which they could potentially fail. Right. And I think that we live in a society, probably this is true of most societies, if not all, that, def that doesn't distinguish between a nip or a correction and a bite. I mean, you can talk about bite levels and stuff like that, but when it's a kid or a baby uh the you know it doesn't take much for them to get seriously hurt so uh you just want to protect to me um i think there's two responsibilities let me hope but let me hope that i can remember them right now there's two responsibilities for a um dog steward i don't really love the word owner um a dog family member or a guardian whatever uh two responsibilities one is to protect them and the other is to have fun you know love whatever like we overlove our dogs already and that's going to be easy for us to love on our dogs 
Um, I think that part of protecting them is this thing that we're talking about, though. Um, making sure that children understand, you know, what their boundaries should be with the dogs. And whenever I, I have super cute dogs and every, you know, all the kids want to meet them. And um, I always have them, you know, make the dog, make my dog sit. And I, if, if their parent allows them to give a treat, I'll have them take a treat and put it in their hand and, and take it like that. So I'm trying to, to like train the kid. I'm trying to protect my dog but trying to train the kid, like, this is the appropriate way, you know, one appropriate way to approach a dog. Um, yes, yes. And I, I seriously, I couldn't agree anymore with that, right? Like, it's, it's so important. So um, I, I have been really blessed to connect with so many amazing advocates of the, the pit bull type breed, but there's a, a particular organization, Justice for Bullies, and they, their whole focus is, is dog bite prevention and focusing on kids, right? And there's actually this program, right? This dog bite safety program that the, the organization got funding and they got people all over the world to start presenting this program. And mm -hmm. it's been so freaking fun to connect with all mm -hmm. these kids and show them right and teach them that like these are the boundaries this is how we can safely interact right because if we can have that and it's not just the kids right obviously the parents have to learn this information too but like that's a huge you know a huge sector of this advocacy that we're talking about that like if we put a lot of money and time into that I mean, I think the sky is the limit for keeping kids safe and keeping dogs from biting kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think like you said, the numbers show that it's, it's often kids that get bitten. And then, of course, we need the education of the parents to get the dogs fixed because fixed, it's often uh, an unneutered male that is involved in a bite. So there's education. And, and then spay and neuter is part of education, too all of that. So, I mean, that's going to help the overpopulation crisis that we have. So absolutely. I think, um, that's amazing. And that's definitely, um, important to focus, have a big focus on that. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Laura, I, I want to hear, I want to hear about your first pit bull type dog. Like tell us, right. Oh my gosh. We want to know the story. Like how did this all okay. happen? Okay, so it's so funny because I do a lot of advocacy at the um, Long Beach Animal Animal Control, or I should, it's called Animal Care. Let me get that correct. Long Beach Animal Care. I do a lot of advocacy for the dogs there. Um, I'm on the mayoral task force and all that. And funny enough, that's where I got my first pit bull, who is no longer with us. She lived a long, beautiful life. So her name was Willa, Willa Chicklet. And I saw her at the Long Beach shelter when she was about... She was on the stray, she was on a stray hold, came in as a stray, five months old. Um, she was black eye, white eye, the most adorable dog on the planet. And um, I just decided that, you know, this was it, we were gonna do it. I had chows before that. Um, funny enough, another stigmatized dog. And I- Loosely. <laughs> I don't even know how I came across chows. I didn't really choose them, they kind of chose me. Um, so that's a whole other story, but Willa ended up, um, at that time I was working so much and I, I can't even believe what an amazing dog she was based on what little time I had. I mean, she did everything with us. She, we took her kayaking. We took her up to Northern California and tra we traveled with her. Um, she was literally the best dog. She could, she could be with kids. Uh, I would take her when my mom was ill and in uh, like an, kind of a rehab situation, which is all older people. 
she would come with me. Willow would come with me and she would visit, you know, as many people as she could. And she just was, you know, she was, she was a little feisty in the fun way, but she was so great with people and dogs and cats. She, I don't think she loved cats, but she had been attacked by a couple cats, never fought back. I mean, she was just, uh, I mean, you know, kind of the love of my life. That's the, the one, that one dog, you know, that you have. And I mean, she literally is why I do this. It's because she was so amazing. I just fell upon this because of her. She was a great ambassador. She was a great friend. And man, that dog took my heart, you know, when she, when she left. But she had a beautiful life with us. So um, it, was, it was all because of Willa, you know. So uh, she's the one who started this all for me. Oh my God. Yeah. And that's, that's how it is. You know what I mean? Like it's that one dog who literally like sets these trajectories for our lives that like we never really anticipated. Right. Well, and like, okay. So my first block, he had a dog, his name was Sunny. And like, I, I didn't really know anything about pit bulls. I really didn't. Like I was a very novice dog owner. I was really young at the time. And like, you know, I never set out to get a pit bull, but I got a pit bull type dog, right? And then literally, right, within months, I was like, like you're saying, I was doing research, all of a sudden I'm like advocating, like yep. it's crazy how quickly this all gets set into motion, right? Absolutely. Like they come into our lives and we're like, okay, you're a beautiful creature and nobody gets to tell me you're not. So I'm going to tell everybody how amazing I love that. Yeah, I love that. I love what you just said. Um, you, you know, other people are not going to define who your dog is and what your dog means. And, and I love that I, because I think that's what it takes to, to change things. I think that things were harder than when I had Willa. I think it was, there was, they were even more stigmatized as a breed. And um, it, it really, um, of course, I felt so, so angry and passionate because she was such an amazing dog. And she was adorable. She looked like a cartoon. They all look like cartoons to me, by the way. It's like a, a clown in a dog suit. But um, I was just shocked by, by some of the opinions and, you know, people walking across the street. And you either stay in that moment of victimization and grief and whatever, or you, you say, no, I, what you just said, basically, like, it's not going to, that you are not going to define my, my loved one, you know, who I know, uh, in, you know, and have seen in all kinds of situations. Uh, and, and you're not, you don't get that. You don't get that, uh, you know, to, to, from your place of ignorance, you cannot define my, my dog. So. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that the lessons that we learn and how we interact in our lives, how we carry ourselves. And I think that the, the power, like how empowered we become by like learning these lessons of like, it doesn't matter what you think, right? Like my dog is still brilliant. And like how that carries over into other aspects of our lives. Like, right. I mean, I would not be half of the person I am today if it wasn't for the marginalized dogs that have graced my life. You know, like, and I think it just speaks to like the brilliance and the opportunity, the learning that we get from them, like the things that they get to teach us. And I think it's just even more significant with blocky headed dogs because you kind of have no choice because people have a lot of opinions and boy, are they quick to just share them with you, whether you want to hear them or not. <laughs> Absolutely. That's so true. And, and they feel emboldened to be able to 
uh, share their opinions with you, even if they're complete strangers, right? It's so interesting too. So like, and I think, I think kind of to go back to like the fear and the victimization, I think that that is so rampant in the anti-pitbull community, right? Like it's based on all of these fears, you know? So like in Denver, we were so close to replacing VSL. We were so close. And it was so interesting in all the city council meetings, how like the stark contrast, right? There's professionals and they're stating facts. And then there's community members who are just like spewing the fears. And it's it's interesting how that very thing is still fueling the anti-pitbull movement, right? Like, and I think we all just have this chance and, you know, we will continue to have this chance that like, we get to speak from a place of love and truth, right? Like, the data is clear. Is there skewed data? Yes. Is that a huge problem? Yes. Right. But it's up to us to dig deeper than like, oh my God, I don't know about you, but like in my research, like I still stay up to date on it. Like I'll, I'll go down a rabbit hole and Google like pit bull bites. And it's so interesting, like how some of these sites that like state data it's also inflated and so not representative of like the actual truth. Right. You no, know, in breeds, it's like, okay, yeah, if you lump together every mixed breed dog and you slap pit bull label, like sure, the numbers look inflated. Absolutely. Right? That's not the truth, right? Like that's not the, the reality. So I want to hear more about like, okay, so um, can you tell my listeners about your organization a little bit? And then I want to hear like, from Willa to now, like how did all of this evolve? Um, Sure, yeah, Uh, so I have an organization called Blockhead Brigade, and um, before this, I was a vice president of a pit bull rescue, and um, being involved in the rescue world made me aware, um, you know, I I did some some, uh, different, I went to some uh, programs with Bad Wrap Up in, in Northern California and spent three days there, I shadowed downtown dog rescue a couple of times and I was very committed to community and I felt that I wanted to focus more on community outreach and um, not just with uh, families of pit bulls, but also um, educating people who, whether it be landlords or things like that and trying to, to do that kind of outreach so that it would actually shift perceptions So I started this organization um, that is an advocacy organization. It's focused on, like I I advocate for shelter dogs, I advocate for um, people and housing, Um, I advocate for for rescues. Uh, So so all of it, we we do various things like events and um, uh, you know, fundraisers and different things to kind of support the, the movement and the rescues that are doing this stuff. So for me, it's just as important to be an advocate for shelter volunteers, for example. I've become close with a lot of the shelter volunteers and tried to, um, uh, you know, broadcast their voices even more. So a lot of times I'm trying to amplify what other people are already doing well. And um, also trying to look at the big picture, like what is What's missing? What what in what way are dogs and their families kind of falling through the cracks here? Because not every dog that ends in the shelter or ends on the street ends up on the street come does comes from like a place of abuse. Sometimes and often they come from a you know a, a home. 
where they were loved and um, circumstances happened, uh, some unfortunate things happened that kind of um, got them where they were. So I try to look at those things and I've kind of targeted, uh, you know, housing support, um, you know, just like building community so that I pass, I pass a lot of resources and information off to people who are struggling in various ways and training. Training is, is a big thing that um, we like to facilitate fundraise for, and we're actually coming up with a really cool program right now to do some training specifically for um, apartment, like people who rent, uh, especially in apartments, so that they can safely and um, with a lot less stress, you know, uh, kind of navigate through kind of apartment living and stuff like that with their dog. So um, those are the things that we we focus in on. Um, and your, your next question that was related to that is how did I get there from Willa? <laughs> yeah, from Willa. I mean, it's it's all this awakening that you talk, that, that we've both been talking about. This awakening, um, you know, realizing I mean, I've, my family, uh, my dad, my dad's an immigrant and my parents both grew up very poor and, uh, I was taught to always be courteous and to always fight for whoever the underdog is. So, um, that's, that's like part of my DNA and I just couldn't stand the, um, the injustice of it and I needed to do something. And I wanted to do something positive. I didn't want to do something that would tear down. I mean, some things need to be tear, torn down for sure, but I wanted to do something that would build. So I, um, after going through doing the rescue work and kind of exploring that, uh, and even in rescue work, I was always interested in um, community outreach and, and you can do that within rescue quite a bit. But I decided that I wanted to kind of pursue um, my calling, which was, to do these things that we've been talking about. Um, so, so yeah, I, uh, I just have really been focusing on trying to fill in the cracks for people and trying to get a big picture of like, why are these dogs ending up in the shelter? And why are they, um, you know, if they're doing poorly in the shelter, why is that? Well, that's obvious, it's stressful. Um, and how, what can we do to change that? So, um, it's been a really interesting exploration with a lot of collaboration because that's my number one thing that I like to do is collaborate with all these amazing organizations out there that are already doing great work and try and fill in the spaces that are, you know, kind of open, open gaps that need, need filling. So that's okay. Seriously, I have chills. Like it's, it's so beautiful just to hear like how all of this progresses and, and I love, I love what you're saying about training for dogs in apartments. Like, I think that that is such a, seriously, like there's a hole there, right? Like people need Absolutely. help. Managing any type of dog in an apartment setting is a lot, right? And, and empowering people and giving them tools and then the ripple effect from that, right? They're not getting complaints from their neighbors. Maybe yes. they, you know, don't have to pay as much of a pet deposit. Like there's yeah. so many possibilities from there. So, so tell me about in your area, like, are there still a lot of like housing situations in which do, they don't allow blocky headed dogs? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? I, I can't believe that I forgot to mention pack walks, community pack walks, which is like something I do every week. So we do 
pack walks because, you know, I, I try to tell everybody the only thing keeping this dog from getting adopted is for someone to be able to leash him and walk him safely. So pack walks are game, huge game changers. I've had the most amazing response from people who have reactive dogs. There was a kind of a fluffy, uh, it's not just for pit bulls, by the way. We had a fluffy kind of papillon mix or something that was so reactive because it had experienced trauma and literally one walk and it, one pack walk and it um, became much more manageable. Uh, the dog completely shifted and it happens all the time. So, so I forgot to mention pack walks, which is like one of our big things that we do yes. and will lead into these apartments, um, kind of situations that, you know, it's, there is a lot of discrimination, um, here and it's worse in Orange County because the Irvine company is buying up everything and they, they have restrictions on so many breeds, but of course, any blocky headed dogs, they have Akitas and all kinds of other dogs um, too, but um, it's very difficult to even find places that will allow you to have a dog over 25 pounds. And, you know, so that's an issue, but yes, there's discrimination uh, quite a bit against um, blocky headed dogs. There was one, I could, this, I'll give you one story that is a representation of many stories that I've witnessed. There was this dog at the shelter named Aiden, who was just a lovely guy, but he was so stressed at the shelter. Aww. He was just, you know, some dogs, you just, your heart goes out to them because they aren't coping at all. Yeah. And that was Aiden. Aiden was clearly, if I showed you a picture of him, you'd be like, they called him a pit bull. Um, and, you know, he was clearly a mix, right? And he lot, he was adopted and lost his home because the HOA said he looked too much like a pit bull and he was scary. This is clearly like a mixed breed dog. Like I would not have even labeled him as a pit bull myself. And um, he was, he lost his home because of it. And then he was so stressed at the shelter nobody was going to adopt him. So I started doing pack walks with him. They, they allowed me to take dogs out and pack walk them. Um, and he did, he did really well. He was such a good dog. And um, he still didn't get adopted until um, we did a program with, uh, with a couple of our colleague organizations, which is Live Love Animal Rescue in Long Beach and Pity Professors, which is a humane education and advocacy group. And we cleared the shelters for the, you know, when COVID started, um, you know, happening, we cleared the shelters and Aiden ended up being one of those guys who got out and funny enough was adopted by a, a, a friend of mine who I haven't talked to in a long time. And so I get to follow his adventure now, but that is just such a typical story of dogs who through no fault of their own, they did nothing wrong, were forced out of their home because of a landlord or a, um, you know, somebody who complained who lives in the building. It happens so much and it's, it's so distressing. And I feel like we need a lot more compassion and a lot more education to kind of, um, you know, get over this, uh, this crisis that's being caused by this. Yeah. So. And, and it's like, obviously we feel for the dogs, but like humans, need dogs, right? Like a lot of people who get dogs need companionship, right? And like yeah. 
how gutting is that? That like they finally found it, they've bonded to this dog and now they have no choice. It's either be homeless or return the dog. Like that is not an okay ultimatum, right? Like that should never be the reality for people. And I, I have so much respect for what you do, right? Because there's another hole, right? There's another hole where the community needs your support and you've stepped up and you're supporting them. Like, that's so amazing. And, and, you know, we couldn't, honestly, we could not do it without our partners and without the public, which is our community. I, I feel like anytime I get kudos, I'm like, it's the community. I, I didn't do anything. Like, you know, without the community, I'd just be like this person in the corner, you know, raising my fist, you know? Um, so it's, it's been, and there's been so many, so many different organizations that have kind of helped, you know, empowered me along the way. I just feel like it's, it's a community thing. And this is something that we're doing it locally, but we have people um, that we reach out to all over the place. And I want it to be something where we create the safety net for each other. Cause sometimes a safety net is just making a suggestion like, hey, you know, have you thought about this? Or here's a resource that will help you keep in your, your home. Or do you suffer from anxiety? Maybe you can get, you know, um, a letter to allow you to keep your dog, you know? So there's all kinds of things that um, if people know, it's really tough when you're in a, when you're backed against the wall, it's hard to think creatively about how to get out of that situation. So you need support, you, even if it's just moral support and some resources, you know, so. Yeah, and I feel like too, like just what you're saying, right? Like just being that one glimmer of light and positivity, right? And like planting that seed, right? Like maybe right. this isn't as, as hopeless as maybe we thought it was, right? And I think that, I mean, you really hit the nail on the head, right? Like we have to be a community and support each other. And I think that, you know, I don't know what your experience has been, but my experience with this whole like COVID crisis has really been like connecting quite literally with like my neighbors and people in my neighborhood and then like expanding that community. And, and I think that that's where all the magic happens is when we come together as people in our community and we build yeah. each other up. And I mean, in every aspect, right? But especially when it comes to blocky headed dogs. Absolutely. I don't know if you can see. Is it on here? Yes. <laughs> you know, that's like our tagline. Without the community, without support, um, building community around the dogs we love. That's our tagline. Um, if you don't, if, if you don't have that support, it, it just makes such a huge difference. If you feel um, all alone, um, you've ran out of resources and ideas and you're able to reach out to somebody and they give you that hope like you're talking about and they give you some actual um you know advice that you can follow up on that allows you to um kind of circumvent whatever crisis it's just i mean it's everything and i yeah i've been it's been amazing because uh, as we cleared the shelters and 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 um you know, got all these dogs into foster homes, literally like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people signed up to foster. So, I mean, you, you go from like struggling to find one foster to having hundreds of applications. It's pretty remarkable. So I think that, um, you know, of course, uh, you know, it's, it, there's so many unfortunate aspects of this, including people losing their health and their lives. 
and their businesses, et cetera, that, that is completely tragic and nothing can, um, uh, not, it, it wouldn't be worth it in any way, but we have to take advantage of um, the way that every, everything is shifting now. Um, the shelters are completely shifting, realizing what a promise fostering is because dogs don't belong in a, in a cage. They do not belong in a cage. They belong with people. Yeah. You know, and what you said struck me when you said that people need animals, people need, um, people need dogs. And I, I feel like there's a very spiritual and like primal, you know, relationship between dogs and people because dogs literally like evolved to fit into our lives and to eat what we eat and all of that stuff. Um, and I think that, that just that is, is kind of magical and amazing. Um, but I think about how absurd it is that dogs are considered property instead of family. And, you know, uh, that would be amazing to be able to do something about that, like, you know, in a legal way to, to change that. Because I, you think about in apartment buildings, um, I have friends who, who are renting that get complaints all the time about their dogs. And I feel like maybe it's a, a prejudice a kind of thing against the breed that they have. And there's no way talking to them that their dogs are making not even nearly as much noise as a child would. So you think about things like that and how unfair it is and we need to change. We need to change it. Um, whatever it takes, we need to change it. So they yeah. can stay together. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, seriously, the word owner, ooh, right? Like it kind of gives me the willies. It is the reality, right? Like that is the truth right now, but we know, right? That like we're guardians, right? Absolutely. We're we're partners, we're teammates with these animals. And, and I think that you're, you're right, right? That like there needs to be a shift in awareness of like kids make a lot of noise and dogs are also noisy, right? Like you know, in, in an apartment setting, a dog never making noise is completely unrealistic, no matter the breed, right? And like, Absolutely. yes, yes, right? Like everything you bring up, like we need to bring more awareness to um, so that we can keep supporting our community and like continuing to foster the canine human bonds, right? That we know, Absolutely. all of my listeners, everyone listening, you guys know, you know, the magic, right? right. That, that is sharing your life with the dog. Absolutely. Yeah. I got to okay, give so an Laura, amen to that. <laughs> yes. Amen. Okay. So Laura, I want to kind of wrap it up. So I want, I want to hear from you. What is one myth that you wish just for the love of God would die already? Okay, I have to pick one, huh? I mean, you um, <laughs> You know, I just did this big campaign about perception and the importance of perception. And I just, and I just saw a video of, um, you know, Long Beach, you know, of the Long Beach shelter where they talked about a dangerous dog and what kind of, what breed of dog do you think they showed? So just that, that they're dangerous inherently. That's the myth. That, that somehow... Every single dog with the, some DNA from a blocky-headed background is, is uh, synonymous with danger. That's the myth I want to get rid of. Oh, preach. preach <laughs> it, right? Like, I don't, like, seriously, when people are like, oh, they'll just, they'll snap on you and they'll go after you. I'm like, have you ever lived with a derpy pit bull before? Because that's the vast majority of pit bulls, right? They're just totally like derpy dogs who would never do that, right? So yeah, I share your sentiment on that. Okay, so Laura, if my listeners want to connect with you, support your mission, where can they find you? 
So you can find me on Instagram at Blockhead Brigade or at blockheadbrigade.org. Um, do you need anything else? Um, blockheadbrigade at gmail.com. There you go. Yes, that's perfect. Yes, <laughs> I'll be sure to include links to that in the show notes so people can find you. Laura, thank you so much for taking time to chat with me. Thank you, Rachel. It's been so awesome. Yes. Oh my God. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about us, please check us out on Instagram at a good feeling underscore in co. You can also find us on Facebook at a good feeling dog training, as well as our website, agfdogtraining.com. Thank <laughs> you.